0: The success of any supply chain begins with procurement. So how and where does it all go wrong? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, editor-in-chief for Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. For many years, the procurement function was treated as what one might call a necessary evil. Its prime directive was to minimize cost, period. More recently, with the major disruptions of the last few years, companies have awakened to the need for treating procurement with a great deal more respect. On this episode, we speak with veteran chief procurement officer Anders Lilivik, now CEO of Focal Point, a procurement software provider. He regales us with the biggest mistakes he's seen in his career as a CPO and even overturns some modern-day conventional wisdom about how companies should be dealing with their biggest suppliers. We also discuss how procurement can work well with other functions within the organization while fulfilling its complex mission. Here is my conversation with Anders Lillivitt. Anders Lilovic, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Bob. Good morning. How are you?
0: Good, and great to have you on the show as a chief procurement officer with the experience of managing billions of dollars in spend. The perfect person to share some, I don't know if you want to call them war stories or whatever, but I'd love to hear from you a few of the Biggest mistakes you've seen in your role as a CPO and how those might have been avoided. Why don't you start us off with an example, a story to tell in that area?
1: Certainly. The thing that comes to mind and the most obvious thing is the fact that procurement is known for saving companies money. And you shouldn't always assume that that is the only priority of the organization, And as you are coming in and you're saving good money, people aren't necessarily always happy with procurement. And that's when you have to realize that you have to double back with your stakeholders and the executives and realize and gain alignment about what is important to the organization. For example, if velocity of transactions are the most important thing and savings are not that important... Obviously, you need to focus more on throughput rather than saving money. And there are a variety of other things like risk mitigation, ESG concerns, diversity and social issues, automation and client service, all that procurement effect. And savings sometimes tend to overshadow those other very important things. So it's kind of know your internal customer, know the priorities of the organization, and don't always assume... Just because this is what we've always done, that saving money is the number one, and North Star metric that you go by.
0: And in fact, over the years, I guess procurement has traditionally been a department that has constantly been asked to get a better price each quarter, right? Uh, Just cost being the big deal. But you seem to be suggesting that even though we can call that a mistake, it seems like fewer and fewer companies are completely obsessed with cost and indeed are looking at these other important factors. Would that be your perception?
1: Absolutely. A very large organization that I worked for, we pitched a proposal to save the company $450 million in run rate savings by doing not so much of a heavy lift that I was expected. And they actually turned the suggestion down. And the, word, the, the quote was, Anders, unless it starts with a B, meaning a billion dollars, we're not that interested in saving money. Velocity is hmm. more important. It me to my core because that's, that's real money. And this organization could not care less about that. And it's a sign of the times, right?
0: Give me another example. Again, this idea of mistakes made and how they might be avoided either at the time or in future.
1: The other thing around procurement is we tend to look at things as an opportunity to bid things out. So everything that comes across our desk, we're trying to get the dollar savings out of it. The quote that I use is, when every, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And oftentimes I have seen procurement organizations bid out large, complex deals. With an incumbent, it works perfectly well. And you end up basically choosing the incumbent in the first place, and all you manage to do is drag the incumbent through a long, tedious process to try to save some money. So what I would say is tailor your uh, sourcing efforts to the process that is in front of you. So meaning if you have a critical supplier that's important to your organization, and there are mutual gains to be had. Pursue those kinds of levers before you go through a, an exercise that is competitive. Mm-hmm. And again, stepping back and looking at things more holistically, looking at the risk of the supplier, looking at the criticality of the supplier, and what you both stand to gain or lose would help you shape that vision of what you should do going forward. And I, I coach people all the time that, again, saving money might not be the most important thing, but even if it is a competitive bid might not always be the best way of getting you there.
0: You didn't use the word partnership, and indeed it's an extremely overused word these days. However, I feel that that's sort of what we're talking about here is the idea that when you take on a trusted supplier who has done well for you in the past, that supplier is indeed a type of partner that shouldn't be discarded or forced to reevaluate itself every year or so. Just automatically, based on what you just said, is that kind of your thinking there?
1: Exactly right. And, and the lines between suppliers and buyers are becoming increasingly blurred over time because they're becoming so integrated into the supply chain and the product of organizations, not just for manufacturing or companies that produce goods, but also for service companies like insurance companies where claims handling, underwriting, most of those things are outsourced for some organizations. And it's, it's impossible for clients to know that. So, yeah, partnerships, certainly it's an overused term, like you said, but you have to look at them both at an arm's length, but also as a process to, uh, to, to service your customers. And that's why yeah. yeah. you know, is long protracted, often adversarial processes aren't always that beneficial.
0: How interesting that you say that the lines between supplier and buyer are being blurred these days because I can think of two other examples where that's the case, and that is the question of who's holding the inventory. Of course, nothing new about the idea of vendor-managed inventory being held upstream, but uh, when that inventory changes hands and whose books it's sitting on at any given time can be a little blurry. And the other is the sometimes the power of a buyer to allow a supplier to take advantage of its own financing terms when the supplier can't have access to those by itself. So I guess there's a couple of other examples where those lines are blurring, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And I think ultimately it behooves, especially large organizations and smaller clients to work sorry smaller smaller suppliers to work together for mutual gains. And I think sometimes this is when procurement can tend to be more myopic and transactional, where they can really get into some really good uh, relationships and good deal structures by taking a step back and seeing like, what can we do to help? I think ultimately, large, especially large organizations that are dealing with somewhat smaller suppliers can really help suppliers out by making them more liquid, by providing more gravitas to the transaction, and really helping both organizations out for mutual gains. And this is where I think procurement organizations tend to be more myopic and look at things more li- as as a transaction rather than a relationship. And I mm-hmm. think that's what we need to get to as a, as a discipline of upskilling or, or increasing the uh, visibility of the organization by being more strategic.
0: Okay, you've made two excellent points about things that procurement officers should be thinking about these days with regard to the relationship with buyers. Do you have a third?
1: The biggest thing in my point of view is really around process transparency regarding what is the actual procurement process? Because we get asked that a lot as practitioners. And the question, though, the answer really around that is that it depends. Not every process looks the same. And you need to tailor that process to criticality, risk, size of the spend, what is actually being procured. And You need to make sure that you understand what that is and then send that down the right path. The process needs to be flexible to be able to handle commodities as well as as complex outsourcing, for example. And it's important that everybody needs to know what that process looks like, who needs to be engaged, what are the handoff points, what is, for example, legal need to do a contract, or what does risk management need to be able to evaluate a supplier. So having clean handoffs, documented processes And being very clear to both the supplier and the internal stakeholders what the process is and to make sure that it's clear. That way, when things take longer than expected, you can explain why. The other thing around process is I certainly have run into this a few times where risk, compliance, legal, what have you, audit, try to dictate the procurement process because of something that happened maybe 10 years ago, and it's a grandfather thing in that you still have to deal with today. So what I would say is don't let those organizations dictate your process. Go back to Procurement 101, figure out what are the actual requirements? What is the problem they're trying to solve? And especially today, if you created this manual process a few years ago to, to accomplish a certain thing, there might be several other things today that can be automated to meet that need. So be very clear about what the requirements are and what the expected outcomes are as you're creating those processes. And I'm sorry for the long answer, Bob. But,
0: no, that's um, quite all right. That's uh, very interesting. But I want to actually drill down a little more into what you just said about the idea that sometimes risk management concerns can start, you didn't use the word metal, but can start affecting or attempt to affect procurement decisions. Who are those individuals in the organization that might try that and are they higher on the organizational ladder, thereby making it difficult to kind of push them aside or tell them to back off or whatever? I mean, what is what is the uh, the power struggle that goes on there?
1: A lot of this depends on the people in the seats and the history of those people in the organization. So I worked for an organization where the edict was any vendor that comes into the building needs to have a background check and insurance certificate. Mm -hmm. And I pushed back on that. I said, wait a minute. The guy delivering pizza is a supplier in in all circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Are you telling me that that person needs an insurance certificate and a background check? And the answer was yes. And you realize that something happened at some point that made the organization think that way. And then you have to step back and say, well, are they providing the service? Are they coming on site to do something where they can see materials lying on desks? So it's, it's about stepping back. And in terms of where they sit in the organization, it really depends. Obviously legal sometimes can be one of those gates. And oftentimes mm-hmm. the secretary of the board is the chief legal officer. So yeah, it's, you can't get much higher in the organization than that. And this is where, Procurement really becomes a team sport. You have to sit down and and talk to the executives to make sure that you understand what the concerns are and then how we can logically and rationally address them rather than just submit to what I think are just crushing demands. Because ultimately, procurement gets blamed for things taking too long or the process being inflexible. But very often, they don't have no control over it because it's being dictated by, by outside
0: forces. Well, legal is probably just thinking it's doing its job. Right. You know, our job Absolutely. is to look at every single eventuality that could possibly happen. But, of course, the routine is all based, as you say, on what previously happened and what's going to happen going forward isn't going to be that. It's going to be something different. So that's that's right. really exactly right.
1: I think we are all, all trying to do our job. Right. I'm not disparaging anybody in the process. It's just as procurement professionals, we need to sit down and look at things holistically to say, like, what makes sense in this circumstance? And Mm -hmm. I I go back to this again, like no two deals are the same. So let's make sure that you are applying a rational frame of mind as you're going down the
0: path. Okay. There is a C in CPO. The word is chief. Chief. That theoretically places the CPO in the so-called C-suite, which implies that you as a CPO now have a certain amount of power and push, and you have the ear of the top executives. Is that the case in organizations today, or is there still a struggle for procurement to get the necessary resources, respect, and attention that they deserve?
1: That's an interesting question. So I think a lot of that depends on and you alluded to this earlier, where the procurement organization sits in the organizational chart. I think having been a chief procurement officer, I find myself being much more efficient and effective when the procurement organization is placed under another C-level executive, like a CFO or a COO. uh, Mm -hmm. People that are used to dealing with conflict, used to making decisions, and being able to make decisions that affect the company overall. If you get placed down below that, for example, I've seen organizations placed in corporate real estate facilities or in the controller's office, and these are folks that are not generally very strategic. And and please forgive me for anyone who's in accounting or facilities (laughs) I'm both. but procurement is, is a very complex thing where you have to get a lot of things done in a short period of time with a lot of complexity. That's why I think those types of organizational placements make more sense. Now, in terms of resources and respect, I think a lot of that comes down to who is in the chief procurement officer chair. If the CPO is able to articulate the need for resources and the expected outcomes, that person is much more likely to be successful. And I'm finding a lot of times where chief procurement officers are promoted from a different department internally, for example, head of Enterprise risk or some other organization and they have no procurement experience and mm. you're promoting to chief procurement officer role. You can't expect those people to be able to look at a problem as some at, at the same same type of rigor as someone who's done procurement for 20 years. So I think a lot of that is against the function of who's sitting in that chair.
0: I want to touch on two earlier points, too, and that is, first of all, this idea of some measure of trust and loyalty that you should have in a supplier that's been performing for you well. Not making that supplier jump through hoops every single year or so if that supplier is doing its job. On the other hand, there is this need these days. The Idea of risk management dictates the need for a certain amount of supplier diversification that might not have been there before. So where's the balance there? And indeed, should companies not be looking for a B supplier or even a C supplier to have it in their pocket at the same time, thereby kind of drawing a little bit of loyalty away from that A supplier out of necessity?
1: 100%. A lot of that depends, though, on what kind of suppliers they are. So for example, dealing with banking or insurance, There's a core banking platform or a core insurance servicing platform. You can only have one. So Mm -hmm. dealing with that supplier and and making sure you have good long-term relationships that are mutually beneficial is key. Were you talking about supply chain related things, which of course, this is a supply chain podcast, having a leader follower model, which is the one I like the most to say, look, Mr. Uh, Big Company, I'm going to give you 80% of my business, but I'm going to have one or two folks that are sitting in the background. That can meet your need, but I'm going to give them much less of the business than before. And that way you can manage those two or three suppliers the same way using the same KPI and metrics. And then you can get some good friendly competition between the three without upsetting the apple cart too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that work very well in the past.
0: And is it not the case, though, that CPOs do need to be working very closely with risk managers to look at all eventualities and anything that might happen in the future, prepare in advance to the extent that's possible for these such eventualities? Don't you kind of have to be kind of hand in glove with the risk people also?
1: Absolutely. I think what I've seen work well in the past is the whole idea of knowing what risk wants from procurement. What gates do they want to go put suppliers through and at what frequency. And very often what I've seen work well is that procurement basically does 80% of the work asking the screening questions, getting the suppliers to, to give us artifacts and then handing that off to the information security or risk people to review, applying, approve, or come up with action plans. But absolutely, it's, it's 100% correct that risk and uh, legal and information security and insurance and treasury, they all work in concert to make the best deals possible. And mm-hmm. it is very much a team sport, which I think I said before.
0: Yeah. but I mean, we're not talking about getting insurance for the pizza guy. But when it comes to a uh, an OEM or manufacturer or a Tier 2 or Tier 3 manufacturing facility, I guess it's up to those procurement people to do the necessary due diligence. You've got to be really good at that,
1: right? Correct. So as the chief procurement officer, I signed an awful lot of contracts and there was an implicit expectation that all those things were done when my signature went on a contract. So yeah, we are, uh, we're taking on a lot of risk for the company and yes, we need to make sure that all this due diligence is done appropriately and by the right folks. Mm -hmm. And
0: and based on the weird things that have happened in the last few years, when you as a CPO now approach a major supplier, uh, do you have additional considerations as to eventualities of non-performance on the part of the supplier, if their factory shuts down because of COVID, or if there's a strike, or if there's any kind? Are you looking at things that you never looked at before?
1: Now that the world has changed, we tend to look much deeper into the supply chain of our suppliers to say, all right. We have a single point of failure, let's say, but let's make sure that you don't have a single point of failure. Or what are the different suppliers that you rely on? I think most organizations today would be shocked to find out, for example, how dependent they are on AWS or Azure or Google Cloud, Mm -hmm. because all of their suppliers are using these suppliers today. And uh, I would venture a guess that a lot of the actual companies don't have any contracts with Azure Google Cloud or uh, AWS. And knowing exactly what your exposures are to those suppliers uh, would be very beneficial and kind of mind-boggling. So, yeah, it, it's, it's not business as usual anymore. You tend to do much more due diligence, and you expect that your suppliers also have a supplier management program that they can identify and mitigate risks before they happen and before they impact you as an organization
0: not a job for the faint of heart but certainly a job where there's never a dull moment if I could employ two cliches that are probably true in the case of procurement it's not it's a fascinating place to be these days isn't it
1: yeah we're having a lot of fun helping chief procurement officer and procurement organizations operate smoothly and well so it's been a great career for me I've really enjoyed it and I'll Continue to enjoy it, I think, until I retire. So,
0: yeah, Andrews Lilovek of Focal Point. Thank you so much for spending time with me to talk about the role of the CPO, the Chief Procurement Officer, today, and where it might be going, and what are the big considerations in in that particular position. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Bob. Pleasure being here.
0: That was my conversation with Anders Lilovic of Focal Point, talking about the challenges of today's procurement organization. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter at scbrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel.